no one wants a lifestyle business. No one wants as much of the services unless you have something super, super hyper proprietary. doesn't matter how much you pay us. If you're not going to, we're not going to make each other look good at the end of the day. Why would we waste our time in full transparency? The water's fine, homie. Jump into the deep end. So it you will reap it. We're talking how to start it, how to grow it, how to keep it. Take a deep breath. You are now rocking with Founder Secrets. Chat, welcome to Founder Secrets. Good to have you here today. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Kat is the CEO of Power to Pitch, which helps entrepreneurs with fundraising, uh, which I think is an amazing uh, story of what she's doing now and we'll get to. And I think it'll be super useful for a lot of folks that are trying to raise in this climate right now. Well, I think it would start back with your first business. You have a pretty interesting story. Uh, I think it's your college dorm, right? You started your first business. Can you share how that went? Yeah, I, I literally I was actually wanting to go into medicine and then had my stuff stolen out of my gym locker. So I invented some rebel wrist wallets and other products that I had patented all to store small essentials. And I really wanted to make them for myself, but I had people around campus asking for them and where I could get them. So that led me to start producing them out of my mom's bridal store and literally selling the stock out from underneath my dorm room bed. But what really inspired my whole entrepreneurial journey was more so when I had actually lost everything to a fire. So my mom had a business of 26 years. Everything we had was in there. And instead of, you know, I was only a few months in the business, very minor sales on Etsy. And I'm impressed with like, hey, I think you got something here. You should go for a pitch competition. I'm like, what the heck is that? And realized that, you know, if I could get my story straight and be clear and concise on who I am and what I needed, then I could win. And I ended up winning 22 of 23 pitches to fund that whole first company. It allowed me to do everything from retail and Amazon and Good Morning America four times. You know, it, it sounds easier than what it really was, but pitching was a journey that led me into so many other facets and a portion of growth of the business that I could have never imagined would have been so impactful. It sounds like your mother was an entrepreneur. I'm curious, do you think there's something your parents did in how you were raised? that made you more likely to be an entrepreneur? I would say it actually stems from my grandparents. So both of them came to this country with no money, not even speaking English, and started their own businesses to keep the family afloat. And then my parents became first generation. My dad took over the family steel business after you know growing up around that, worked with his brother. And my mom started a bridal business with her sister. And I think that I got to see how far you could stretch a dollar and how you could control your own destiny and you and not be capped in a way. But there was a lot of pros and cons with that and family sacrifice. So then you're raised in the business. We grew up in there. We pitched in and we cleaned and we learned a lot of skills that not a lot of people would get unless they were thrust into an environment like that. So I'm grateful for seeing the struggles around it, being forced to do chores around the business and things like that, because it makes you appreciate things so much more and understanding there is a lot of grit and sacrifices associated with entrepreneurship versus, oh, you know, I've got a family business and I just pass it down from generation and it's, you know, cash flow. It's it's not simple and easy like that by any means. So I, I think it really actually stems from my grandparents worked so hard and gave so much. And that's something that's always, always stuck with me. What do you think you learned? You alluded to some things maybe that were challenging your heart. I guess, what did you learn not to do 
from from that experience. We'd be here all day if I really went through the list. <laughs> um, what not to do? I, I struggled with trying to find balance, and then I realized that there's no such thing as balance. No matter really how experienced of an entrepreneur, you have to create your own balance and figure out how you like to operate. It's it's not a perfect nine to five. It's it's not a one size fits all box. So I I don't think balance is a pure existence unless you find it within yourself and you you make your own. Another thing is you know, you can't be focusing on yourself. Entrepreneurship is extremely lonely, but it has to become a team sport. From your family relationships to the people that you bring on your team, you have to be transparent with them about your goals and what you need and understand what they need versus it being a selfish solo journey. And another thing is that you don't want to accept every answer or no that you get. I learned from a great mentor that everything is negotiable. And that stuck with me for a really long time from whether it was manufacturing to partners or working with agencies, whatever it might be. There was always an opportunity to do better or pay a better price or build a better relationship. So understanding that that first answer or no is never really a no or a first answer or, or the last answer per se. Can you speak more about the, the first business? So you mentioned the, the pinch competitions. I mean, 22 of 23 winning. I'd be really curious what the one of 23, what happened to that business, the person who beat you. Um, but can you speak more to yeah, what, what happened in that business after, after you raised the money through pitching? How did the business go from there? You know, that's I get that question more than anything. It's not about the wins. It's about the very one loss. Look, look, to be clear, I'm very impressed by the wins. 22 of 23 is amazing. I wasn't going to ask that. <laughs> well... So the it was another founder who is absolutely incredible. I think she's still running the company to this day. At the time, I will never forget, She English was her second language. She had her PhD. She had a letter of intent from Lululemon for the sustainable carbon neutral manufacturing process. She just blew everything out of the water. Her, her, her traction and what she was going to do with the money was far more powerful than what any of us had. So She's well, well, well deserving of it. So no issues in losing there. Because actually, I'd won uh, a round to even get to that opportunity to win another global competition. So it was an incredible experience. And I actually got more out of the network and the mentors that I met at that opportunity than any dollar value would have brought. And that's what I think a lot of people don't understand about the, the grant side of things too, is there's so much power in the network and PR and marketing that comes out of that versus just the dollars. But the money that I won was six figures worth of capital to scale and put towards the business. No, I didn't pay myself a nice check. I lived in my parents' basement and put it all towards inventory. But I wouldn't have been able to afford inventory for Good Morning America. I wouldn't have had money for an Amazon budget for advertising. I wouldn't have had money to put into retail and new packaging. So it allowed me to invest forward into the business to take risks on more opportunities to really get the product out there. The uh, the pitch competition was it GSEA? Yes. Yeah, I was on the board. So I won the <laughs> the regional, and I flew up to. Funny enough, though, I was playing tennis in Grand at Grand Valley. They didn't have one in Michigan, so my school. I was fortunate enough they flew me to Utah to pitch in Utah. I won. It was either six or ten k in Utah because I won there. It was the exact date that they had the EO um, alchemy event. Mm -hmm. And so I got to meet Damon John and get a free $2,000 ticket to this event. And then EO paid for my flight to Colorado for the finals to pitch for this whole other opportunity 
years later. And I'm still friends with some of the founders that I had met there. And actually, it's funny, I think my face flashes up for a second on the they have a Disney Plus feature for GSEA. So I have a quick second of fame on the Disney Plus documentary. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Flavio but I don't both. get any distributions for that. I signed papers years ago and I totally regret that. <laughs> well, I'm not sure there's much. Well, maybe there is in the Disney Plus set, but th- that whole endeavor, d- Flavio and I are both at yours and that, that whole endeavor loses uh, money. <laughs> but uh, so, so you talked about, so what ended up happening with that business? How did it go from there? So I had uh, my, my top hitch tips video was filmed by FedEx and it went viral on their YouTube. So I had hundreds of founders DM me. How do I tell my story and raise money? And that allowed me to start coaching on the side. And my parents used to joke that I should pitch for a living instead of actually running the business because it was, I was something I was better at and it was more lucrative. So all jokes aside, I ended up actively selling and exiting the company six years later and decided to take power to pitch full time with the whole mission of helping founders get funded faster because I realized there were so many incredible, especially female and underrepresented entrepreneurs who secure less than 1.6 of venture who struggle to really culminate a natural network and be clear and concise and understand what the expectations are for actually raising money and securing capital, whether it even be dilutive or non-dilutive. So I realized that I had some of those skills that I had learned over time to be able to share with these founders because I was starting to help them get into doors and raise money and and make that what I, you know, my my life's work essentially now. And I partnered up with a woman who's based in New York. Her name is Katie Dunn. And she's spent 25 years in finance, is an active angel in over 19 companies and brought her complementary skill set. So she's the due diligence expert. I'm the storytelling and pitch expert. And now we both support founders in in with what we do. Yeah. So, okay. So let's get to that. Sounds like you help founders pitch so they can raise money. Is that right? with a focus on underrepresented groups? Yeah, pre-seed and seed stage. Yes, mostly female and underrepresented founders. We're niche in that we focus on the pre-seed and seed stages. Privately, we'll support Series A. We don't go beyond that. That's not our expertise. And it's mostly we're working with founders when they've only got a couple family and friends checks or at least a validated MVP, or we're helping them get their first major financing round. And then we just launched a grant program to help even earlier stage founders who maybe aren't investor ready or even VC backable secure non-dilutive capital from grants and even debt and revenue based financing nice. options. How do you get paid? So say I was a startup, they need to help with pitch. I guess do you get a percent of the fundraise or? Yeah, so legally we're not registered broker dealers, so we cannot and will not take a success fee. And also that's more of a benefit for the founders. So actually a lot of investors are turned off by success fees because that means, hey, one or 2% or even more is going to the person who sourced the deal and not into the actual business. And so we are fee-based only unless we're personally investing in an entrepreneur. We're also not taking equity. We don't believe in that, that after, hey, you work with us a period of time that now we're on your cap table forever unless I'm supporting you forever. So we're strictly fee-based. And our whole goal is when founders work with us, we want a thousand X your investment because you're we're helping you raise, you know, typically between five hundred K to three million dollar rounds on average. Can you share what the fee is? Or like I guess the ranges or how what can you share? Sure. So our grant program is currently under five hundred dollars. So that allows founders we update the list every single month and they get lifetime access to it. And there's grants typically ranging between five K upwards of fifty to a hundred thousand dollars in non-dilutive checks. 
And then for our fundraising program, we have a, an application call. So we don't work with just any founder. We want to make sure that they're coachable, gritty, passionate, and transparent. So depending on where they're at and what they essentially need for the business, our fees range between four to eight K depending on where they are. And then you help like create the deck. I've had one of these people um, that actually was trying to charge a percent of the fundraise. Didn't really help with it with like that much. I should be careful, I guess what I say. <laughs> Any event. There, what, there's a um, lot of that out there. There's a lot of that out there. <laughs> Yeah, how much do you help? I guess from the like, I was just at Andrew. You know, Andrew Young is throwing these events up for like young startups in New York right now, and I was at one of these events this week, and and this person literally like grabbed me by the shoulder and was like, started pitching me <laughs> startup like very aggressively, and I was like, oh great, great. So like, where are you at? Like, well, we're looking for investors. Like, oh, when did you start? Well, we just started last month. We're the three founders. We have this idea. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really like early, <laughs> you know? So, but they were like, okay, we're ready to get investor money. And I was trying to explain like, oh, I think it might be too early. Like, no, 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 this is it. We need right now. So, so maybe help me understand kind of how do you work with founders? How early on, how much do you help them create the business or just the deck once they have the business? Go ahead. We are the only program that helps, that doesn't take equity and helps founders until their last check is in the door. So our program, we, we help founders only in the pre-seed and seed stages. So let's say they come to us and they're raising a million dollar pre-seed round. They're with us. We support them unlimited until the last check and $1 million is completely raised. So we're flexible. We understand fundraising is a full-time job. So we have a private community, a weekly group coaching call every single Wednesday for them to practice their pitch, ask for resources. And the whole goal is that so we help them create two pitch formats a DAC, a one-pager. We do a mock investor call, go through a due diligence checklist. And then once we approve their materials, we'll make interest to investors in their industry. So we're with them as a full support system, not just a band-aid or a quick fix because conversations you have between a first, middle, and last check are completely different. It's different struggles. It's different types of VCs or angels or even family offices wanting different things. So we want to make sure we're supporting the founder fully because it's not a one size fits all model or it's not a, Hey, you're going to be fully raised after our six or eight week program. And then good luck. Or if you didn't raise it, good luck. We tried to help you. So that's, you know, we want to make sure that we're bringing on a founder who's going to be coachable and committed because we are there with them every step of the way. How do you manage when somebody comes to you and maybe they have a good idea and they certainly have some money that they want to pay for someone like yourself, but the business is not fundable like maybe it's a service business you know i ran a marketing agency for 12 years my business was a great business but it's not a fundable business and and i like flavia when i meet some of these founders i'm like uh you shouldn't raise any money you should just go launch this business just you know get your first customer go go out there and hustle and and i feel that some use fundraising as an excuse to not do real work so they use fundraising as a way oh can't raise money as as a way to not build a real business how do you i'm sure these people come to come to you how how do you manage their expectations or what is it that you say to someone and how do you kind of turn away their money or you say hey actually don't pay us you need to go get some customers and then come in how do you kind of manage that? So we do plenty of that because only 10 to 15% at the high end, are that's the, the amount of founders that will accept to apply to our program. Because a lot of... If they're too early, we say, you're gonna, we're going to be wasting each other's time. If you don't have customers, if you haven't validated your MVP, then you're going to be twiddling your thumbs because our investors are going to keep saying no. 
you're going to be frustrated with us. And then we're going to be frustrated with you not putting in the work. So we say, come back to us when you have X, Y, and Z, at least as a minimum of proof of concept or certain amount of customers, email signups, letters of intent, certain, get these certain metrics or KPIs. And then if a founder is maybe not VC backable, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's so many misconceptions that you have to raise money to be a good business, which that's not the case. We'll tell them and we'll give them free resources and say, we're not a fit because of this. Like the typical investor wants a company, they, they make their money upon a liquidity event. Your company is you sell and you're acquired in some way and they want to 10 to 100x their investment, whatever it might be. So no one wants a lifestyle business. No one wants as much of the services unless you have something super, super hyper proprietary. And that's, you know, we'll, we'll share the resources associated with that. But for, for founders not at that stage, it doesn't matter how much you pay us. If you're not going to, we're not going to make each other look good at the end of the day. Why would we waste our time in full transparency? So can you share, like, what advice do you have? Because there's probably some people listening to this that are in that position where they're too early for someone like you. What, what is the kind of advice that you give or what, what is the feedback that you give them? What would you tell someone who's in that early, early, early stage? You say for any small business who is not as much on the service side or even wanting to buy a franchise for, that's pretty common as well as some founders will reach out to us to try to raise money to Pick, pick up a franchise and not of many investors we know are, are wanting that. So we'll either we'll share resources associated with, hey, this is how to get you know your first customers validation, start getting paying customers, work on what profitability is going to look like, understand your numbers and your metrics, your resources associated with that. Or two, almost any small business under a million dollars should be going for grants and non-dilutive funding. There are so many, so many, so many resources and opportunities, even accelerators who don't take equity that will provide resources and support around getting you your first customers and helping you move the needle. So that's our, we specifically launched a grant program because we were turning away so many founders, but it's like, Oh wow. The grant side is is so powerful. And last month we just shared 250 plus opportunities for November alone that you can apply for. And we had one group of founders secure $50,000, another 85,000, some 5K and 10K. And that's money you don't have to pay back. It's PR, it's marketing, it's non-dilutive. It typically comes faster than the average investor check anyways. So it's worth putting in a couple of hours of work for you know a few question application to secure some funding. And typically comes from corporate or enterprise. There are SBIR, federal and government. Those are a bit more strenuous of a process. And some people I know have, uh, one guy even secured 5 million in government grant and he hired two people to manage it and said it almost wasn't even worth it because it's such a pain in the butt. And there's so much time and other resources associated with, with dealing with it. But for the grants under 200K, it's so much easier to manage and get associated with. So that's the whole reason we started this grant program. That's where we'll send a lot of the really, really early stage founders to as a resource if they qualify. Are these government grants to be clear? I mean, I know you mentioned enterprise. No, like corporate. So like FedEx, UPS, Venmo, American Express. Um, there's a ton of organizations who put on, essentially offer up a donation to be able to highlight a business. We're going to give away 50. So part of it is one, one is to make them look good. It's totally selfish, but who doesn't want that kind of money if it's relevant? Two, it's a case study to figure out, hey, how can I support more small businesses? And three, 
if it's, you know, if the way they structure it, it's a tax write-off probably for them, I'm assuming is another benefit outside of that because they're donating. But the the whole premise is, I think number one is it's PR and marketing for them. Look, we got this small business grant, get eyes on our business, share, support, apply. We have your data. We're looking into it. But like at the end of the day, it's, it's still a win-win for both sides. Wow. So they, so I can apply. I didn't know this. So, so I can apply for corporate grants. One can apply for corporate grants, uh, non-dilutive, meaning they don't take any equity in the business. And they, in exchange, what they get is PR effectively. The FedExes yeah. of the world want to be associated with small business, I assume. And so, so what? They have a process where you apply, you go through this, maybe interview with them, and then they just kind of write you a check. And that, that's, that's yep. it. Mostly a written application. So for a FedEx, what I want, I think it was, uh, they do one round. So it's written application and a 60 second pitch video where you record on your phone, you submit online at your own pace by the due date. Tell you exactly who, well, how, and, and what you got to include. And then if you make the top 100, all right, answer these few questions and do a five minute video. And then from there, they choose what 10 or so people to choose prizes up to over 50 grand plus, you know, a few thousand dollars worth of print services and shipping. Who wouldn't want that? And FedEx asks you, hey, you know, how do you utilize us? What would you like to see more of? I served on their entrepreneur advisory board. They flew me out to Memphis to meet with their executive team. It was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And I'm still friends to the some of the board members to this day. But yeah, it was super positive to them. But the impact it had for me was almost like practically life-changing. I want to ask, how did uh, you select the founders that you work with? Because it seems like anybody would want that. So you can't work with everybody. Yeah, so we we don't interview founders for the grant program. We have uh, an FAQ section on the bottom of hey, this is the what t- grants are what they would typically be giving out to in terms of type of business and stage. It's typically under a million dollars is the big one, and they're not going to give it away if you want to buy a franchise or start a marketing agency or if you want to buy real estate things like that. It's more of hey, if you have something proprietary in terms of a physical product technology even a storefront, retail, whatever it might be, those are the perfect type of business to go after grants and non-dilutive options. Uh, what about your grant program and how and, and your accelerator program? How, how, how does that kind of differ from these others? And, and what is it that you're looking for for businesses in those? Yeah, so for the... We're, we're not anti-accelerator, so we don't really call it an accelerator because we're with founders until that last check comes in. They're typically with us at least a few months. But we're looking for founders with a validated MVP. They're typically female and underrepresented founders in CPG and tech. And they're raising between half a million to three. And they're needing support in their storytelling, fundraising materials. And they also want to increase their network of investors. So that's top tier for us. And then in terms of the grant side, it's, as I explained earlier, something proprietary. You don't have to be VC backable. But we're different in that we're sharing this updated list every single month. Resources are all included, and then we'll credit that if you qualify for our fundraising program as well. So we want to be a constant support system. And then also there's education associated with the, the grant list. Before you get access to it, it's a few total hours of this is the ex- these are the expectations, before and after examples of written questions, answers, what it looks like, pros, cons, what are the common mistakes, why and how are founders typically winning them, what it looks like. And it take you know my experience in winning a ton of grants, helping other founders win grants, and then my business partner talks about the the debt and revenue based financing side. That another great option for founders to look at because equity is the most expensive form of capital. So if you're under a million in revenue or funding raised to date, 
you should be going for non-dilutive funding. It is huge and investors will also find it positive that you secured them as well. Well, what do you, you know, this is a tough time for a lot to raise, a lot of people to raise and especially in software. But what are you kind of seeing out there? What what have you seen over the last six months? Where do you think things are headed in the near term? I think it's, well, I know it's gotten harder for female underrepresented founders, which is why we've been focusing a lot on that group. So we'll Quarter three had 1.6% of female founders securing venture dollars, which is down from 1.9% the previous year. And then 0.13% went to minority founders. And we're seeing that, you know, there's a lot of broken promises in terms of funding and resources and support. And the, the natural network thing is also really, really difficult. And that's why we're trying to break down a lot of those barriers. And we're also seeing the time increase to raise money. Like, if you want to fundraise in Q1 of next year, you should have been starting to fundraise yesterday. If the time it takes, the relationship building is always, we say, whatever your expectations are, double it. It's it's very difficult, but the relationship is going to be first and foremost. Like Even if a fund isn't actively deploying, build a relationship with them if it's going to be strategic. Do your research in advance. I think a lot of founders are taking the pity me method when there's still new funds getting that are raising, new funds coming to fruition. There's money that's out there. You just have to be willing to sacrifice and get creative. There's, you know, no one's going to say, give you money out of pity. Like that's that's just not happening. Valuations are in favor more so the investors this time of year, but you, you just have to like fundraising and being a founder is not for the faint of heart. You have to know that it's going to be extremely difficult, totally mental and very daunting. You're going to get more no's than yeses. And that's just part of the process. You had a medium post, I think, about five things I wish someone told me before I became a founder. Uh, can, can you speak to a couple of those? Like, what, what what do you wish that you knew before you became now a two fun, two-time founder? Oh my gosh, what did I write in that? Because I feel like there's so many things I probably got to sit down. <laughs> well, one, I'm I'm almost glad that someone didn't tell me what to expect because... Like if I knew all the things I would have, I would have had to go through. I honestly probably would have been too scared to start and start anyways. But I wish someone had told me, and I don't even know if I'm going off the article correctly, but I wish I was told to get mentor like startup specific partners sooner in terms of an accountant, a startup specific attorney, because I used the wrong people who ended up. It ended up screwing me over before I went to sell the business because I had to go back and retrace certain things that I had done or how I structured the business and it wasn't done correctly or that was in terms of like understanding that it was a startup or an e-com and retail kind of deal. Um, so finding startup centric partners and contractors are super important. Two would be finding a mentor who has actually been there and done that. It took me a while to find the right mentors. And when I did, it changed my life and I'm forever grateful to those people. And I just had one who I was like, I asked the mentor, I was like, why are you doing this for me? This is, they were liable for an inventory, a manufacturing batch, personally, financially liable. And I was like, why are you doing this? And they're like, Kat, someone did it for us. And all I ask is that you pay it forward because it changed our life. And as long as you pay it forward, I I know you're going to do right by it. And I never forgot that. And now I've made my first investments in female founders to help pay it forward as well and support many other companies. So I think finding the right mentor versus trying to take on all this conflicting advice of someone who has an opinion but hasn't actually been there or done that. So that, that's that's another key one. Um, was there anything else in the article that I is is 
that I might have missed because I <laughs> my my mind is like, wow, you could have said a thousand different things. Well, I, I'd like to double click a little bit on the mentor thing. I, I, you, you found good mentors. I'm, I'm curious how you found them. And also, how does someone know who's a good mentor, right? You know, in hindsight, it's always, oh, yeah, they were great. But how, how did, I mean, did you know that up front? Was there a filter you were looking at people through? Um, and how did you find the, you know, let's say the individual who uh, personally back to your inventory? Yeah. So I would say I was referred to certain people over the years as well. So they don't know. They don't always just, I didn't walk into them. I was open about my weaknesses or things that I needed and people would make introductions. But two, I knew, okay, these were my core things keeping me from growing the business right now. So at the time it was manufacturing. So I was at a pitch event, startup specific, founder specific networking events are huge or community, online communities even. And someone was like, oh, Kat, like he's, he's in a non-competitive space. It was a sports bra. So it's still textile. And they're like, he's, he knows he does overseas manufacturing. You should talk to him. And he's talking to 10 other people. And they're like, just go up, talk, just introduce yourself. And I said, you know, this is who I am, what I'm doing, but what I need. And he's like, Happy to have a 30-minute conversation with you. 30 minutes turned into an hour. That one hour turned into a bi-weekly meeting. The bi-weekly meeting turned into then, um, you know, it got down to a month or whatever it was until what I needed support-wise. But putting something on the calendar and slowly building up a relationship with someone who is strategic is helpful. But I also want to preface that you can outgrow mentors. If you don't have to keep your standing meeting, you're not doing them any favors. You know, it's this as long as you're kind of paying it forward method, you don't always have to be giving, giving, giving to them. As long as you're appreciative and executing on what they say, that's flattery enough, I think, to a lot of great mentors. But being transparent about what you need and asking. People don't realize. I know some billionaires who have mentored friends just because the friend asked and the person was bored and already been there, done that and wants to give back. So you just never know until you ask. With pitching, maybe you can start sharing um, some tips and maybe how do you get to, to pitching? Take a founder that's just very early stage, has a product that they're working on. And so what would you advise on how to go about finding those billionaires or finding the right investors? Exactly kind of what, what steps or tips do you have for them? Well, you don't always have to find the billionaire. That's not always the answer. But we work on a... We have several frameworks that we built out and we tell our founders, we're not reviewing your materials unless you watch these videos and you go through these at least core templates because a lot of founders tend to focus on the wrong things first, like a pretty deck. That's not going to solve your fundraising problems. It's not going to help you communicate better. And typically it takes away from you anyways. So we teach them how to prioritize the right fundraising elements and the right language because an investor or your audience is not always a target consumer. So you have to understand how to talk to someone who doesn't care or know anything about you and how do you get them interested? How do you get them to understand where you're at and what you need? It doesn't always have to be they're going to walk into your store and pick up your product and be your number one fan. Do they have the right resources at the right time in the right areas to get you to point A from point A to point B? So helping the founder with their mindset, the positioning, their story, and then it's the physical materials that, that we work on and prioritize. And it's putting yourself out there in the rooms. The networking events, if you're tired, show up. If you want to sit in the corner and talk to the same people, guess what? You're going to stay in that same corner. You have to get uncomfortable with 
you know, kind of moving about and networking and constantly pitching because your pitch is constantly evolving. We say it's a living, breathing document in terms of your pitch and deck. So by working on, by not being afraid to iterate them as you go along and keep practicing it to make it more functional and gauge a room and and work through those pieces, even if you're nervous, is something that's really crucial as well. So let's say you're, you went to an event, you met a bunch of investors that were like, oh yeah, hey, let's connect on LinkedIn or here's my card. Yeah, sure. Let's talk. What do you do next as a founder? You have, you know, five or 10 of these people in that stage. What, what would you advise a founder do next? Uh, that's, that's tough because it depends on how the conversation went at that time and what the expectations are. Did you reach out to someone who's an investor at your stage? Did you do enough research about what point you're going to follow up with them? Because maybe some of them you want to ask to be on a quarterly newsletter update. Or others, if they're exactly at your stage, you know who you're talking to, you know what you want to get out of them, it's setting them a call. It's adding them on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter. It's emailing them a short blurb. It's reminding them who you are and what you talked about. Don't assume that they remember you or care. So it's it's updating them and just making sure that you're not going to waste your time in a call that you haven't prepped for. Even if you met them in person, Whoever you're meeting, you really got to do your own due diligence and research because you're going to have plenty more meetings and notes. You want to be as strategic as possible. So it sounds like for you, it's really going into that deep uh, research about each investor, not blanketing with the same message or pitch for everybody. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, you're going to have the same core elements of your pitch. But if you can make it personalized and build a relationship because you understand who you're speaking to, you're going to be much more memorable in the end. How can other entrepreneurs, say like us, Taylor and I, we are non-female, (laughs) non-minority founders. I'm curious, how do you see people like us helping the minority female founders or or companies like yours? Like what what can we do that we don't fall into that bucket? Yeah, like I'd say we don't fit this bucket, but I'm really passionate about what you're passionate about. And I'm wondering how, how can one help like i guess should we join events or make investments or like do you have a partnership program or a mentorship program where 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 other entrepreneurs can help the ones you're working with i'm just curious kind of what could we do to to help in any way the cause yeah that's a great question well number one is if you are looking to to support and you are an accredited investor there are some incredible, super hardworking founders who are going to stretch that money way further than the average founder who might be lazy about it, expecting dollars to come in. I think that group works works extra, extra hard, especially even moms. There's negative connotation for a mom being a founder, but they're the grittiest, hardest working, best task managers, prioritizers that known to man, I would say. So investing dollars if you're accredited and have the money. Or two, it's buying from them. Three, it's making introductions, asking what resources they need, who they should be getting in front of, asking you know if what they need outside of money, what other resources or connections can I make for you that would help move the needle. It's liking their social media posts for free. It's buying from them during the holidays. It's it's supporting them when they reach out or, or have a struggle or something. I think it doesn't have to be total investment dollars, if you can't afford it, there's plenty of other free ways to be able to support and just even make intros without expectation in advance. I think that's something that people don't realize will go such a long way. And it's helped me. I've had people make intros for me that I I didn't expect and I'm forever grateful for. And so 
doing those things are really, really easy ways to put these groups ahead. As, as we kind of wrap here, uh, where can people find you online? And if someone's interested in the grant program and, and learning more about the business, where, where can they do that? Yeah, so I'm super active on LinkedIn at Kat Weaver, K-A-T-W-E-A-V-E-R, sharing tons of free pitch tips and startup experiences shared here. And then if you're interested in applying for our fundraising and or grant program, it just go to powertopitch.com. And we have our YouTube channel in there as well, where we talk about some other founder strategies, do's, don'ts, and other things. We also share a ton of workshop opportunities where we're educating um, founders at various stages. So website at Power to Pitch and LinkedIn is where we will be. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on, Kat. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for rocking with the homies. Taylor Trusty and Flavio sees the day on it. Until next time, hold it down, hold it down. Hey.